for Black women specifically, it is to me essential because our objective is to come out alive, especially if you are birthing in a hospital. It's not a status symbol. It is a required part of the, an essential part of the birthing team. And when doulas are present, you know, statistically, we know that birthing outcomes are better, but we also come out alive. From the stuff your mother never told you to the stuff your doctor never learned, On Health is what happens when a midwife plus a Yale-trained MD shares about all things women's health, from periods to menopause, sex to reproductive health politics, motherhood to mental health. Join me for taboo-busting conversations that demystify and destigmatize our bodies, all while bridging the gap between conventional medicine and wellness. Along the way, we'll be exploring the science and wisdom of how our bodies work, what makes us well, what gets in the way, and how we can live our best lives on our terms. When it comes to women's health and well-being, there's nothing we won't talk about. The new medicine for women is here. I'm Dr. Aviva Ram. Welcome to the podcast. George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, Ahmed Arbery. These are names you know, I hope. But what about Kira Dixon-Johnson, Yolanda Kadima, Tatia Odin-French, Amber Rose Isaac, or Dr. Shailen Irving, a CDC epidemiologist and researcher on the impact of structural inequality on health outcomes. These are names you may not have heard. They are the names of Black women who died needlessly in childbirth, several of whom reported symptoms and concerns to their medical provider prior, but who were dismissed or ignored. Black women are three to four times more likely to die from childbirth-related complications than any other group, and according to the CDC and multiple other data points, infants born to Black mothers are dying at twice the rate of infants born to non-Hispanic white mothers. Further, Black mothers and babies cared for by Black healthcare providers have far better outcomes, yet there is a systemic disparity in the number of Black care providers. This public health emergency is an overt sign of systemic racism in general and in medicine and can no longer be tolerated. Clinical studies show that the presence of a doula at birth tends to result in shorter labors with fewer complications, less interventions, greater success with breastfeeding, and an overall feeling of a more positive birth, of being seen and heard and supported. Most birthing people and the entire obstetric system would benefit from the presence of more doulas. Black mothers in particular may especially benefit, but black mamas are asking for support advocacy, and systemic change that doesn't also add burden to Black women in the form of added anxiety from constantly focusing on the narrative of risk and danger for Black birthing people. My guest today, Tracy Collins, is passionate about changing both the statistics and the narrative. As such, she's the founder and CEO of the National Black Doulas Association, which provides doula training and a nationwide professional database of skilled, trained, and certified doulas through their directory of Black, BIPOC, and LGBTQIA doulas ready to support and become part of the overall birth team for BIPOC families. She's been published in Parents, Rolling Stone, and Essence, and is a contributor to Black Love, CNN Health, and NBC Today, to name a few. Her work also extends beyond the birthing room, exploring women's rights and social injustice as an actor, playwright, and producer working in television and film. Her main driving force is to explore Black culture's taboos, 
dispelling these myths through art, entertainment, and social justice. In honor of her work in arts and entertainment and calling attention to the human trafficking epidemic in Oakland, California, in 2015, the mayor of Oakland, California deemed March 14th as Tracy Collins Day. She's also an entrepreneur who's passionate about helping women create their business infrastructure to create the life they desire to live from anywhere on the globe. Tracy, you're a polymath, an actor, author, playwright, producer, business owner, doula. Welcome. Thank you so much for having me. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Do you ever you. hear your own bio being read and go like, whoa, that's exhausting? <laughs> like, I yeah, that's that. actually what I was thinking. I was like, wow, that's a lot. <laughs> it is a lot. It's amazing. Your body of work is beautiful and intriguing as are you. And I'm so curious to hear how you evolved to the work that you're doing as an artist and a doula and entrepreneur, and also how these intersect in your life. It's so good. Um, I love that question. The intersection is just me as a Black woman and creating us and painting us and showcasing and telling our stories to humanize us. We are not seen as human, period, which is the reason why we have to dispel and fight so much. So people can grasp the information sometimes through information and education. Sometimes people grasp the information through artistry. And I just so happen to have a lens for both areas. So for me, it's easy to move in and out of those worlds. Artistry comes naturally, writing comes naturally, and there's Black women walk a unique lane in America, and we have a very unique experience as it you know, pertains to being a Black woman in America, no matter what the story is. So I focus on the story and how do we change the narrative. If it's eradicating Western medicine, so it's better for all birthing people. If it's telling the story of a young girl who was human trafficked, all of those are somebody's story. Tell me more, if you're willing, how you feel Black women are seen not as human so that as we have the signposts, we can recognize what we should be recognizing as not okay. Do you know what I mean by that? I do. It's really honestly easy, you know, for me to say but just, you know, envision you and your experiences. We feel the same. Humanizing Black bodies when we were brought over as chattel to work is, a, is an undertaking and a process within itself. But then when you have a, the Black body who is constantly birthing nations, then we have to get into it's always the task to do versus the task to be and just is. And, and oftentimes Black women are asked to do laborious tasks to support mankind. But when we are asking the same in return, they go unheard, ignored, as if 
we're not even, you know, we don't exist until it's time for a need or an ask. And um, we see that in politics when they need numbers, and we can trace that back to the, the feminist movement back in the 60s. And, you know, we can trace it in several different ways. Um, and then once those numbers and those quotas are met, oh, we don't need dreams, so we're pushed aside. So it's always something that we are, that's asked of us, but never our needs are being heard and or met. So allowing us to be seen and is human or saying, no, we're human, we feel, we cut, we bleed, just like you. Our pain tolerance is higher because we have a, a more melanin in our skin. It's just, we're human. And for listeners who are not familiar with this connection you're making between pain tolerance and melanin, this is a a trope, but also like a very real significant reality. For me as a physician, I can say that when I was training in hospital at Yale, for example, people with sickle cell disease are Black people. Mm -hmm. And that disease can cause levels of pain that I have observed that are sometimes seem superhuman and may also result in all kinds of oxygen deprivation to different parts of the body, deformities that can require enormous amounts of narcotic medication to actually manage. And I've had to argue with nurses in the hospital who have said, oh, she or he, you know, I'm doing air quotes here, y'all, so you know what I'm saying. She or he is drug seeking, aka that's black body in pain, or she or he can tolerate it. And that is a, I'll I'll pass to you, pass the baton to you to, to talk about where that comes from, because it's directly from our nefarious history of enslaving Dr. Dr. James Marion Sims as it pertains to Black obstetrics and gynecology. And this is the story for me as an artist that I am dying to tell is the story of Anarka, who was a young 17-year-old girl who he performed over 30 operations on without anesthesia to perfect a procedure. And even when anesthesia became available, he still chose not to administer the anesthesia in anesthesia in order to perfect his procedure, but gave it to his white women patients instead. And his procedures were so gruesome that, you know, he would ask the slave women to hold her down and his peers to help hold her down. So the tolerance too is like our history with Western medicine, it goes back to slavery. And so until we address the real history, we're going to continue to see the perpetual deaths in Western medicine still to this day until we acknowledge and eradicate the system that is due to the racism in obstetrics and gynecology and throughout medicine today. Yeah, and so Damien Sims, for, for those of y'all listening, right. is considered the father of modern obstetrics and gynecology. When I was in my medical training, he was brought up that way. There I was, the midwife in the, you know, the hippie older midwife in the class at Yale going, um, I don't think that we should be bringing his name up without talking about the bigger picture here. And of course that was just like (laughs) static, but (laughs) he's, there's still a statue of him. Um, Oh, and, and I know they took that down in, in Central Park. Yeah, it just got, it was recently. Yeah, recently. recently. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It takes so much just for, you know, our stories just to be told. Yeah. Well, mm-hmm. thank you for telling them. 
Not Thank that you're you. telling them for me, but I really appreciate the beauty of the stories. We um, we live near a dance place called Jacob's Pillow. You may have heard of it. And it's the oldest continuous dance theater in the United States. And it has a really progressive history of even back in the 40s, just very culturally sexual preference diverse. It's a beautiful place. And we had the opportunity this summer to see a series of U.S.-based Black dance troops. And as I was sitting there, of course, knowing so much narrative from my sister midwives, the women I interview and talk with, like yourself, just looking at the beauty and the power of these dancers, I, I felt so much grief and shame for our country, truly, that these beautiful people would spend so much of, of their lives having to unpack this yeah. power and beauty. It's like, it was mm -hmm. really astonishing to me. Mm -hmm. There's been a lot of rehashing of the statistics that I shared in the intro, and I was even a bit hesitant to repeat them again. And at the same time, the data is really important because it's the data that tells us really how bad things are from a sort of like system-wide perspective. But there's this quote that I love, which is, stories are data with a soul. I'm hearing more from women in the doula community and reading more online about the importance of knowing the truth and knowing the stories and we knowing the truth and, and changing the system. And also this narrative of this data actually driving more anxiety and more stress for Black women and shifting to the narrative to more centering uh, Black bodies and centering pregnancy. I wonder if you can talk about how, like, how do we ha hold space for both? How do we have the data so we change the system and also not create more anxiety by talking about it? Holding space for both, getting the work done without adding more anxiety, pressure, stress on, on Black birthing people is not asking us to, to teach and tell uh, or to educate. It's about the others doing the work themselves to, to educate and to face their own biases and to, to really take an introspective look at the part that they are playing and also to address the horizontal violence that happens within Western medicine itself. So that is a great way to like, okay, let's take it off of, because we've been carrying the, the, the burden of, 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 of mankind since we've been here. So it's really to give it back to the people who gave it to us. You know, it's about here, you do the work because we've, we've done the work. We already know it's, you know, that's that line, listen to black women. We, and then the reason for that line is because we live it, we know it, we're, we're experiencing it. And so have generations before us. And now we're so, asking you to also be your own advocate in the right. hospital to protect yourself right. against the people who uh, should be against, Yeah, exactly. And so that is not our place. Our place now is to rest and heal and to heal ourselves and, and the community should we choose to, to, to move forward. And it's like the, the oppressor can't ask the, the person they're oppressing 
to help us now. No, it, that's, that's, we're not doing that anymore. I'm going to take your foot off my back for you. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's not, we're not doing that. And it's about those who are, you know, such as yourself, highlighting the stories, listening, really, you know, giving black women or who are leading the charge a space and place to be heard. And then also taking what we say and really honoring and respecting that as is without asking us to prove ourselves even more so in that. If you were to do an improv or spoken word right this minute, and I were to ask you what you want to be heard, what do you, Tracy Collins, I want to be heard Da, 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 da. Like, what would be the things that would come from? What are the things? Yeah, I would want to be heard. I need to tell a narca story. Like, for me, that's really important. And that is through art, we begin to change narratives. Um, so for me, it's like really, really catapulting my voice and platform to be able to, to shine the light of that. That's really important to me. Also, pay equity when it comes to birthing professionals. And also with the, you know, with the MBDA, what I see in particular is people who are trained and certified through us, other agencies will discriminate against the Black birthing professionals because they're not what they would deem as the status quo trained. And I would also need insurance companies to put doula practices into, to cover doula practice in their plans. And I would also need employers and major corporations to add that into their employee benefits package. I, I, and I would also need Western medicine, medicine as it is and stands today to go away. I don't want us to no longer put a mandate on cancer because changing something versus completely demolishing it or rebuilding it from the ground up including the people who it was taken from originally and embedding those holistic practices, it's only then will we begin to see a change and a growth and a change in lives that are saved. Yes, sometimes you just can't fix a broken system. You have to just sometimes demolish the system. and yeah, Exactly. Yeah. And, and, and that's what needs to be done. And I constantly see, and I would also need Black people to stop being surprised by things that happened versus like, why are we surprised? This is the history. You know, um, like when the senator in Louisiana, I forgot his name, but he's also a doctor. And he said, oh, well, it's only the numbers when we include Black women. And there was such an, uh, an arms about what he said when it comes to the Black maternal death rate. Don't be up in arms. We already know how they think. We already know that that's there. He just said it out loud. There is something to be said for that. I, I mean, there's nothing good I can say about Trump's presidency election or, or anything that's going <laughs> right. on right now. Right. But I jokingly say it's a little bit like a New Yorker. Like sometimes you just, it's better to know what you're dealing with. Like with New Yorker, you always know what you're dealing with. Like yeah. we say it, right? And yeah. it's like, almost like what was, what has been tacitly here the whole time and not even tacitly. I mean, the midwife I trained with in Atlanta had a cross burned on her property mm -hmm. in North Georgia. This was like 30 years ago. We're not talking like 50 or 60 years ago. Um, so it's not like even hidden, but there have been things that I think it is good when things come to light. I mean, and it, and it doesn't feel good to anyone. It doesn't feel good, but it's only when we become raw and bare can the healing begin. 
and not putting the onus and the charge of it on Black women. Allow Black women to rest. Thank you for saying that. That's really helpful for me also as a physician. I've been planning this project program about medical advocacy and education that I want to bring into medical training programs that I actually have been hesitant as a white woman to do it. And I've spoken with several of my Black sister midwives about this. And they're like, but actually, please do. Mm-hmm. We want to rest. You're not really resting. You're doing a ton of work. <laughs> I'm trying to rest. I'm really trying to rest. I'm trying to. It's not. I'm trying. I'm trying. So yeah. you could have gone in many directions. Mm-hmm. What made you pick doula? I didn't want to do surgery. Mm. So my initial goal was a CNM, and being a doula was just a segue into midwifery for me. But once I got my foot wet when I was like 24 years old, I saw how the systems work at play. And I said, I can't be in this system. So that's when I changed the trajectory to direct entry midwifery for me. And I went that direction and being a midwife changed my life. It changed my life. It changed how I thought about myself. It, it changed how I thought about my womanness, my womanhood. And still to this day, everything that I think, everything that I stand on and teach is on the on that foundation. And when I decided not to go through the the certification process, and it was really because of the the laws in in midwifery for California. I was like, yeah, no, and being a single Black mom at the time of two children, oh no, three at the I finally had my, my youngest. I was like, I just don't want to risk it. I just don't want to risk it. So I took everything that I learned as a midwife and I brought it back on into the world of, of a doula. And I was able to successfully, beautifully marry the principles, the practices of, inclu- of, of incorporating the whole body and really understanding birth physiology when it comes to the birthing process with my clients and my babies were being born in like six hours or less, completely. Women who weren't anticipating having natural births, having natural births. I was like, nobody's going to feel better until your baby is in your arms, okay, including you. And I would let them know, like, no one can do their job. You have the biggest job in the room. So don't worry about anybody else. And I got you. And so I was very fortunate to have doctors you know, as far as like Stanford recommend me, they were like, we don't, we have our feelings about doulas, but this is the one you want if you want a doula. And I had a really good career when I was offering direct to client services, just simply because I incorporated the whole body into birth when it came to Western medicine and doctors were seeing things that they had never seen before. I really love that you made the choice to take care of yourself. I mean, a lot of people don't know what it really means to be a birth worker. The hours. I was talking to one of my mentors. I don't know if you know Mama Saran, but we were talking the other night and she's, yeah. you know, she's 66 and she was saying, I could see doing this for another 10 years. I was like, oh my God, never. Really? I was like that. But we were just talking about, I knew what she was going to say before she said it. She's like, what? And I was like, you really just want to go to bed in your own bed and wake up in your own bed. 
like for me, I was actually raising my children. They were small and uh, I was an illegal home birth midwife. So I actually had a backup situation. <laughs> if you were to get arrested and <laughs> your children at home, then the Bang. Department of Family and Children's Services will take your children into custody. So I Bang. have neighbors with phone numbers. We risk so much. We risk so much. And everything that you just said, the same for me. Mm-hmm. It's a lot. So mm-hmm. you define, or I've seen in places where you've defined yourself doing full spectrum doula work. Can you talk about what that means? So full spectrum is an interesting term to me that gets kind of tossed around in the birth community. And what I've seen happen over the course of years is the educational component that I, I don't agree with the approach. So when it comes to full spectrum education, I believe birth should be separate, postpartum should be separate, fertility should be separate, sex should be separate, sex and, um, you know, intimacy and becoming one with the body. A separate training. Those are all separate because they're all separate approaches Mm -hmm. and they all require a real unique lens and expertise in each of them. And so, but a, a full spectrum birthing professional is somebody who is able to at least support somebody from the birthing process through the postpartum process. You mentioned that your midwifery training and experience became the foundation of so much of what you stand on. Yeah. It really turned me into the radical that I am. Like the midwife. I'm super curious. I mean, like I'm more radical than I, than I will. I'm actually way more radical than I let on. Yeah, I am too, actually. Um, I was talking with someone recently about this story where I was at a hospital birth and the mama didn't want an episiotomy and the OB was dead set on doing one. And I just was standing there and I put my hand right in front of her perineum and I looked at him and I said, if you're going to cut her, you're going to have to cut through me first. And it was just like, it came out of nowhere. Nowhere. I'm like, this is like the depths of generations behind. This is the depths of radicalness. Right. And that is like the core of who I am and part of my commitment in my work now on this sort of iteration. I think for me, it was like I was radical home birth midwife. Yeah. And I think I had to feel like a little bit undercover going through the medical journey. Yeah. And you talked about horizontal violence. Mm-hmm. I am still unpacking sometimes some of the things that I experienced horizontally like I didn't get directly attacked but I heard an OB or another doctor attacking a nurse or attacking another resident it like it goes inside your bones and now like reclaiming like there's no room to not be fully radical and especially when I'm 56 and it's like yeah you you have no you have to you have to you have to your soul won't let you rest exactly exactly Mm -hmm. right it's exactly Mm -hmm. so how is it showing up for you like how is this showing up even more from you and how did midwifery make that happen midwifery like i said changed my life once i knew the power of my bowl of vagina it was like oh yeah no until you can you know pass a human through this body or your body then we have especially my approach with like men's or you know males and i i i'm very bad i'm a, i'm even radical in my parenting approach i'm unlike any parent that i ever know and i really think honestly that i'm channeling this ancestor who all I know is that her name started with an A. I know that she's present over my left shoulder because I had a reading from it from an elder. And 
So I know I'm Anarka. I don't know. I don't know. That's funny that I didn't even parallel those two. But I know I'm channeling that. And I always would ask, like, who is this? Because I don't, for me, I don't have that visual in my own life or family. So I know from, from spirituality to the approach to my work, to my level of wisdom and being radical and how I'm a, like, I'm just going to tell you and the level of wisdom that I have is beyond my years. And I, I really can't un- understand that sometimes. And my level of knowing, I have a real deep sense of like knowing and it does not always feel good. People think that, oh, I just want to know, but sometimes you don't want to know. And every single birth that I've attended and the more and more skilled I got, I, I knew how I could walk in a room and, and immediately call the birth. And it's just a gut feeling. And it's actually it, really uncomfortable. And I think that very uncomfortable. I've unpacked that knowing. And I had a mentor a long time ago. She's passed away now. She was a First Nations woman, really powerful and wise. And she would say that the knowing, it feels intuitive, like it's coming from elsewhere, but that sometimes people have like a very fast processing speed for facial expressions or Mm -hmm. body positioning. You just kind of feel the story and how it kind of coalesces in a woman's body. Like an example is this woman I worked with who I just sort of intuitively felt that she was going to have a really difficult, challenging time when she went into labor, just by the way she carried herself, she, the way she communicated. But you can't just like sort of say that to someone. Maybe now no. I actually could because I'm like older and just going to say right. it and like find <laughs> skills. But then I was in my like late 20s. But then when she went into labor, like super, super early labor, she was truly freaking out. Mm-hmm. And I went over to her house. I checked her because, you know, like when somebody can be like really demonstrative and you're like, well, they sound like they're probably two centimeters and freaking out, but maybe they are like mm-hmm. in transition. Mm-hmm. So I went over and I asked her if I could check and she was, she was like barely dilated. And when I went deeper into what was going on, there was some history of trauma, sexual trauma. Mm-hmm. And so I pulled my mirror that I carried in my birthing bag out. And, you know, soothed her, worked with her. We did some just calming, like nice warm shower. And then I pulled out my birthing mirror and I left it with her. And I said, I'm going to leave for one hour if you feel like you're good. And I really would love for you to go sit on your bed, you know, get comfortable, spread your legs and just look in the mirror at your bottom and appreciate yourself. She had never, she didn't even get undressed in front of her husband. So I left and I checked in with her about an hour, a couple of hours later, she was, she was great. And she called me back maybe like four or six hours later in labor, long story short, 10, 12 hours later, she birthed sitting on her husband's lap, legs wide open in front of a full length mirror. Nice. Both of them seeing. And when I went to see her for her postpartum visits, she said that that simple act of appreciating her body that way was transformative. But it was, again, it was like that instinctive, oh boy, I don't know what it is about this situation, right? You just know in your bones. 
Yeah, that's why I created for the MBDA the sex doula training and the intimacy coach training because of my experience watching women repeatedly refuse to see their body. And then when we take it to Black women specifically, there's so much epigenetics and the, the trauma there from a from generational exactly that even if it isn't in this physical being that you've experienced it somebody in your generations before you have so it's it is not abnormal for trauma to surface and if anything as a birth worker we anticipate it so this is why we we want to help prepare clients and going into it, if there's anything that we know or you know that can help us support you along the way, you know, please share because it's only going to make your connection to your birthing professional so much better and your birthing process. My brain just started exploding a little bit with what you were just saying. So for those of you who are listening who don't un, haven't heard about or don't know what Tracy's talking about, about epigenetics and intergenerational mm-hmm. trauma, there is now a substantial body of data that shows that when your ancestors, even several generations back, right. went through trauma, that can alter their gene expression in a way that is passed down through generations. So studies now have looked at the grandchildren, for example, of Holocaust survivors or people who survived the Holocaust but perished after, you know, for some reason, maybe secondary to it. And the grandchildren having dreams, memories, mm-hmm. anxiety that comes out of nowhere, physical health symptoms that come out of nowhere. So now this has been traced down. So my brain was kind of exploding because you were talking about sexual trauma. We're talking about being a black woman and rape is a fundamental fact of what your grandmother's, great grandmother's entire generation, right? Mm-hmm. Any black body that came over during the middle passage and women you know, we were used for that purpose, you know, as one of those purposes. And and so we anticipated it's not uncommon for us to experience things within our body. I'm glad you said, which seems like deja vu in a sense, but it's actually those lived experiences before us that you're experiencing now. And I'm glad that it is talked about more and more readily. That is something, you know, that is a piece within our sex doula training that we do incorporate. Um, one of our instructors, she talks about the history of um, epigenetics within within Black women specifically and how we relate to our bodies sexually in birth. Once again, it brings us back to the humanness, you know, um, and how do we begin to 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 see that and to support and allow space for healing and allow grace in that as well. Because oftentimes the people who've experienced the most trauma have trouble receiving grace, seeing grace and extending it to others. So how do we do that? One of the challenges I've observed with doulas or for doulas and have heard doulas talk about is 
going into a hospital system, a hospital birth, observing an injustice happening and feeling unable to advocate at the level, kind of like there's a kibosh almost on a level of advocacy that I can do as a physician or midwife walking into a hospital because I don't give a shit what they think about me, honestly. And also not falling into the, like, oh, we don't want doulas in the hospital because they're difficult or for a black doula being like a loud or difficult black woman. So how do you nourish this radicalism that needs to happen to change the system while it's being dismantled? How do we change it within doulas feeling like they're welcome back or yeah, you know, you know what I'm asking. Yeah. It's like teaching them how to fight within the system. Yeah. You have to, you have to understand the bureaucracy that is Western medicine. You have to also understand how to, with a paper trail, create change, you know, or how to empower your clients to advocate for themselves and ask for change and demand change and expect an immediate result if it's happening in real time. So let's talk about some of these things really granularly. So um, some of the things I've encouraged people to do is like, if an OB comes in and says, I want to check you, or I'm going to check you, advocating and saying no, but if the OB becomes insistent, saying to someone, I'd like it documented in my medical chart that I said no, or absolutely someone pull out a video timestamps and say, can you please repeat that? Yeah. Yeah. And what you do, even, even with the video camera, it can be tricky because some hospitals will say we don't allow for videoing, you know? Um, but I, I definitely believe in a paper trail. I definitely believe in, in saying, so let me get this straight. You are, we are request, you are asking for something, we are denying it, and we would like to have that in writing, and we would like your signature and your data, and we would like it on the letterhead of this hospital. And, and you do that with each and every, as long as the, the birthing body and the birthing person is medically safe and that baby is medically safe, there is no justifiable reason to move forward with any procedure. Right. And that's pres- actually codified in the uh, right to inform refusal. Um, right. So it's really explicitly stated, even by ACOG, that every decision that relates to the birthing person's body and the baby yeah. is that birthing person's choice and that the person Absolutely. should never be coerced, threatened. They should never be like, Absolutely. we're going to call child services, let alone I also intuitively and experientially know how to shape my language, my requests Uh to soothe the ego or manage the emotions and expectations of the hospital team. And that's an art. Yeah. And it's a learned art. Mm -hmm. And also understanding that this is a working environment for the doula themselves and how to cultivate relationship with those peers. And everybody plays a, a plays a role in this to support this birthing family and this birthing body, but also empowering the birthing people to know that we all work for you. Contrary to how they may make you feel, we all work for you. And unless you give us permission to proceed, no one can do this job. 
unless you allow us and give us permission and grant us permission. And when we start to educate and empower, and please don't negate the partners. There's a partner present. We must include them. We must arm them and prepare them with as much information because they are going to be the ones that are going to be right there to help make the difference and to make calls on behalf of the person that they love. Um, and the people that they love, one of them, which is our side, one of them, which is coming too. So we need to make sure that we empower them with the right tools and information. And the only way we can do that is through proper information and education, but also making sure that you understand what's happening within your birthing facilities in your geographic region and that you leave a great lasting impression. So when they see you coming down the hall, they know like, okay, well, call us when, when, when you need us. We know you got it in that's what used to happen to me when I go. Me too. I was like, okay, yeah, she's got it. This one mama I worked with, she had a lot of um, complications with a previous pregnancy. She had had um, RH isoimmunization. So she had lost a pregnancy, lost a baby. And so she had to have a hospital birth this time. And she'd wanted a home birth. I was like, we can't do that with this. This is truly high risk. So I went with her. And when I got to the hospital, the OB, was just, he literally rolled his eyes. He's like, oh, you brought a home birth midwife with you. <laughs> and then he saw, first of all, how comfortable the mama was but then he also saw how little he and his team had to do and so he mm. he left kind of like huh. and then about half hour later he comes back in and it was hilarious this was a long time ago so he brought a cd and he said kind of came in it was a really big burly guy he comes and he goes like my sister is a, a classical musician and i have her cd <laughs> i thought you might like it for the relaxation call me when you need me and then <laughs> And then he came back when it was time. Yes, when it was time. Like, we don't need you until we say we do. <laughs> we got it. But yeah. but you want to be able to, for the for doulas, we, we, we teach them, we want you to have the proper information and understand that you are in a working environment for you. So how do you, you know, support your birthing clients in the way that they feel comfortable and supported, but you were also working within a system to where they feel comfortable and not invading that space and knowing that you were going to utilize them when needed and necessary. Once you learn it, you know it. You got it. Once you learn it, you have that 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 medical team on your side. You do. It's beautiful. It yeah. really is. Yeah. So what are you creating now that you're really excited about? My book. Is this your autobiography? I saw a little. It is. It turned out to be. It, 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 it turned out to be. Um, so I'm, I'm excited about that because it allows me to channel my creative energy in a different light. So I, I am excited about that part and how this person evolved to do this work and the journey within this work. And it's, and it's still not done. And what I learned about myself in this process is, God, I have so many stories to tell. I guess like, okay, okay, let me get this book done. Cause I got another one I got to do. So I'm excited about that. Yeah. And you're a mama. You have three. Yeah. <laughs> Yes, How I do am. you manage your life? How, what does it look have, like to do all the things of you? Mm -hmm. How do you weave it? Do you write at night? I'm curious. Well, my kids are old, so <laughs> they're grown. So they're 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 grown, and believe me, I let them know how fortunate they are to have me as a mother and me as their first home. I often tell them, "You're welcome." 
So oh I never, I, I never want them to forget, <laughs> um, which again is like the radicalism of midwifery. It really taught me to appreciate the dwelling. But I don't know the answer to the question. And so I try to be a living example for my daughters, especially being young Black women, to not really take on so much because we have a tendency to overextend ourselves and then become resentful mm-hmm. in the process and, and trying to, to move at a pace that invites ease into your life. So for me, when do I create? I create when I feel the energy. I don't allow my level of creativity to dictate me. That's unless I'm writing a script. Those are different because I can crank out a script, I think, in like, I don't know, 60 pages and like, I don't know, maybe three days max. And often those are like on deadlines. But... This has been somewhat at my my leisure, so it's just like, but there are times that I really have to honker down and I have to tell my honey and like I can't need to write and go in the zone. Yeah, and it's it's a, it's a zone. But what I've learned about myself and being a writer was not something that I anticipated at all. It was something that I knew I had, but I, ah, I just don't want to do it. But the more I write, I find that my comfort resides there because I can be alone with my thoughts because I absolutely love words. I love words. And my love for words extends back to, I think, 11 years old. That's as far back as I can trace it. Um, and I love words too. I do. I love words. I won't even allow myself to fully like instrumental jazz because I love words so much. It's like, you're not going to allow me to get there because I love to hear words. That's so interesting. (laughs) I, I really relate to that. I would love to hear, why do you feel women need doulas? And why especially Black women need doulas? Well, first of all, I don't think any woman wants to birth their baby alone. I don't think any birthing body wants to birth their baby alone. And I know that for a fact because on my 23rd birthday, I gave birth to, well, I had a stillborn daughter alone in the hospital. And that was one of the most scariest things ever I have ever experienced. Not only was it on my birthday, but I was alone at at, at that moment that she was delivered. And I would not have had so much fear if I had somebody there. So for that reason, I think that's like deeply embedded in me because that was a year before I went into birth work that that happened. And for Black women specifically, it is to me essential because our objective is to come out alive especially if you are birthing in a hospital. It's not a status symbol. It is a required part of an essential part of the birthing team. And when doulas are present, you know, statistically, we know that birthing outcomes are better, but we also come out alive. I feel very strongly that every woman who wants a doula should have a doula that every hospital mm-hmm. should have doulas available. There should be full insurance coverage. Mm-hmm. How can you guide those who are listening, who are looking for a doula and saying, I don't know how to find one. I don't know if I can afford one to go about finding a doula for themselves. 
Well, hopefully we have one on our website that is close to their geographic region, first of all. So, you know, please definitely visit blackdoulas.org and look in our national director. We, we have a doula now who is in Ghana doing amazing work. So it's, you know, I think we have doulas in Canada now, too. And we, I know uh, Mexico is coming about, too. But as far as accessibility and affordability, I would say, you know, first contact the doula, see if your insurance covers it. Um, what are the parameters around that? It, I know we have um, paired with Walmart. So if you are in certain states and you are a doula is affiliated with the MBDA and you are an employee of Walmart, they will cover your doula services for you. I Medicaid, I'm actually going to be sitting on a board for some Eastern states starting, I think, top of 2023 to make sure that um, the MDA, our doulas are covered, we can accept clients who have Medicaid. And a lot of other opportunities are there too in other states too. So knowing what your access is there from an insurance purpose. And then if not, then also instead of like baby shower gifts that are tangible, ask, can you pay for my doula? You know, um, crowdsourcing a doula. That's a brilliant idea. Yeah, absolutely. That, yeah, there are many times that when I was working directly with clients, people would pay, you know, they would gift their doula and I would be the doula. So making sure that that is, you know, something that your family could do for you, um, because that's a gift that keeps on giving. And we want to make sure that we do our best. Even put it on a baby shower registry. That's another option. There's creative ways. And a lot of doulas offer payment plans. And then also if you have an HSA within your insurance for your job, um, medical benefits, you know, there are doulas who take that as well. So we, we, we work around and with the system at the same time to be able to support the birthing families. Is there anything just sort of like if you took a minute or a second right now, just like something to come up in you that you're like, I really want to share this. Oh my God. Eat during birth. Eat. Feed your body. Nourish your body. Yes. Your body your body will tell you when it does not want to eat anymore because your body has a beautiful way of dispelling it and it will tell you. But nourish your body. And as long as we say yes to us, you will be happier. Say yes. I would say feed your spirit, feed your body. It's beautiful. Thank you for saying that. If you were to tell your younger self one thing, one piece of wisdom that she would accept from you, how old would she be and what would you tell her? Mm, she would probably be six or seven. And I would tell her it is going to be really, really hard. But I would say you got it and stay stay true to you because it's going to get better. But you were put here for a purpose for all women. You clearly are. I am so thrilled to connect with you. And Thank you. Me too. Meet you. Thank you for all the beautiful work you're doing. And I'm really excited to keep following and seeing what comes yeah. next. We will share all the links yeah. on the page, the show notes page, so folks can find a doula, can find you, follow your work. And for those yeah. who want to study with you, whether it's postpartum, birth, sexual they, health, well, they can come through the MBDA. Mm -hmm. We have amazing, amazing trainings. Mm -hmm.
Thank you so much. Thank you, everybody, for making the time to take care of your body and your mind and your spirit by being here and welcoming Tracy into your day with all the wisdom she shared with us. I hope you enjoyed this episode, that it helped you to feel seen and heard, and perhaps that it even brought you some aha moments. Please share the love by sharing this with a friend or someone in your life who could benefit from the kinds of things we talk about in this space. Also, make sure to follow me on Instagram at dr.avivaram and go to avivaram.com to join the conversation about the show on my blog. While you're there, you can sign up for my free newsletter with tips on taking back your health. Be sure to leave a rating and a review for the podcast and follow the podcast to be notified of new episodes every week. Can't wait to see you next time.